Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. All right. Well, today's kind of an exciting day and a nerve-wracking day all at the same time. And let me kind of explain why. Um, I was spending most of the week trying to put together uh, kind of like the final sermon going into our three-day fasting and prayer. And I was trying to figure out what the Lord would have me share. And I was studying out the book of Daniel and I was putting some notes together. And as I was doing all of this, I really just started feeling this agitation in my spirit. I don't know if anyone's ever felt this before. You kind of go to bed and something isn't right, and you wake up and something isn't right, and you're going to prayer and something isn't right. And as I'm trying to figure out what this all is, I really felt as if God began to impress on my heart, and oh, how I hope this is the Lord. I felt like it was God just pressing on my heart not to bring a sermon today, uh, but to speak a little bit more out of my heart of what God is doing personally in my own life and where I feel like he's leading the church going into the three days of fasting and prayer. So I say all that to say, I have no notes today. Yeah, so, so as, as I heard Nikki kind of just go, mm, like kind of underneath his breath, this is either going to go really, really well and God is going to be so glorified it's going to be awesome or we're all going to crash and burn and we're just going to sweep that under the rug and move on to next week. So either way... It's going to be a memorable day in the house of God, all right? So, so get ready. I do have a few just bulletin points. I just want to make sure that I don't miss something. I'm just going to put it here. And I will say this. I am going to get into the word of God and into the scriptures because even though these are things that God is dealing with in my own life, I always pray to the Lord when I feel like the spirit is doing something, show me in the word what you're doing. I want to know from the scriptures what it is. Show me through the patterns of the Bible what this is inside of my heart that you're trying to get at. Because I'm going to tell you something. If God doesn't show me through the word of God what he's doing in my life, I don't accept it. I got to find it in here if I'm going to fully embrace it with the spirit of God. Amen. So I am going to get into the word. I'm going to bring a few things out. Um, but let me just preface it by this. I have wrestled all week long, and, and you've heard some of my sermons over the last couple Sundays, I've wrestled and I've been asking God, God, is this something you're just doing in my heart? Is this something for me, just between you and I, or is it for us as a corporate body together? Is this something you want all of us to begin to enter into, something you're calling us to? And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be completely frank and honest. I actually don't know. I'm working through this journey with the Lord, and I don't know. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to explain the best of what I feel like God is saying and downloading and bringing through the word. And what I want to do this morning is begin to see if the spirit of God begins to bear witness in your heart. Is he bringing us into a place of unity together is ultimately the goal. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray. I know we pray a lot here in this house, but <laughs> look at me. I need a lot of help in life, so we need to pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. Um, God you have been doing something pretty profound in me. And I've been talking to Beth about it. Lord, I, I've shared openly at the church about it. 
And I pray today, God, you would give me the grace to be able to communicate what it is you want to share. I I sometimes wonder, am I starting to go through this kind of as a template to show everybody else? Say, this is what God is after. This is what he's doing. I wonder, God. And I just pray right now, God, that you would give me the words and the ability to communicate it clearly. And Lord, if this is you, let it bear witness in this house. And I pray you would move us into a place of unity where we'd say, we're grabbing hold of that. We're moving there. We're going in that direction. And if somehow this is just me, then let it just fall to the ground and die. We'll start again in our series in Genesis next week. We'll just move on, Lord. But I'd rather side on the side of safety and caution instead of miss what it is that you are doing. So God, we commit this time to you, and we bless you in Jesus' name. You know, about three months ago, my prayer life began to shift. Um, this burden started coming on me, and I started praying. And I was praying a prayer saying, God, with everything we're dealing with in our nation, with what we're seeing coming down the pike in our educational system with our kids, with the divisiveness and the division that is everywhere, including in the church. And listen, I'm not trying to be a gloomsday preacher. I'm not trying, but I'm in a place of saying, the Bible says where sin abounds, Grace much more abounds. And I began praying, and there's this burden on my heart saying, God, you got to answer what's going on in our nation, in this world. You have to answer it through the church. And I started asking the Lord, I said, there's got to be an anointing that is specific to this season for our country. Something that, that you have held, that you want to pour out on your body, a manifestation of God's presence that we have not walked in in many, many years. There's something of this burden, and I keep asking, God, is this me? Is it you? But every time I go to prayer, I'll go an hour just crying out, saying, God, there's got to be more that you want to begin to pour out on your church out of a response to what's happening all around us. There's got to be more in our community groups. There's got to be more in our worship sets, more in our prayer meetings. There has to be a deeper anointing You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like all our hearts, even in the church, are just so hard from the culture that we're living in. I can't tell you how many people I've counseled with on the verge of divorce, and statistically, trying to get people to turn back and repent and love each other, it's like almost impossible now. People say, I just don't love them. I don't want to be with them. I want to get out of this. Do you know statistically in the church that 80% of our young people are going to turn away from the Lord when they hit college? 80%. And in my heart, I'm saying, God, there's got to be something that could cut through the hardness. There's got to be something. And I'm seeking, and I'm praying, and I'm spending time with the Lord. And as I'm getting into the Word, and I'm studying through the lives of different men, like Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, like Daniel, Jesus, Paul, I'm going through the lives of men of God who operated in an anointing that was able to change the course of the people of God. It was able to get a hold of the people of God. It was able to change the course of even nations. And I'm reading through this. As I'm reading through it, I feel the Lord begins to open up to me this revelation. I begin to see that every one of these men that operated in anointing like that, that had an anointing specific for the season that they were living in, for the people of God, for the church of God, for the nation that they were living under, every single one of them made a conscious choice to seek God. 
They made a choice. Daniel said, no matter how busy I am, and he was busy. He was an administrator of a nation. He was given more and more responsibility. He was given more and more through the kingdom. And he said, no matter what, I set three times a day where I would seek the face of God. I'd spend time in prayer. I'd spend time in call. Even when they threatened me and told me they were going to put me in a lion's den, I opened up my windows to Jerusalem and I bowed and I sought the face of God. And every one of them, as they begin to seek the Lord, listen to me, what happens is God begins to share with them his burden like never before. They see things that other people cannot see. They see the true condition of the people of God. They see the true condition of the nation around them. They see the reality that God is still on the throne. And there's faith that's building up in their heart. But at the same time, there's a breaking that's happening. Where they're seeing and they're beginning to be moved by God's burden. See, true anointing, a true manifestation of the presence of God always comes out of intimacy with the Lord. It's when we embrace all of God, where we know his heart, and he shared his heart with us. He's downloaded it. People have asked me, well, Pastor Michael, are you talking about just us weeping and mourning and walking around and just feeling bad about the conditions around us? Is that what you're talking about? No. No, 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 that's not the burden, although it can manifest that way. The best way I could describe the burden of God is that when it comes on you, listen to me, it reprioritizes your life. That's how you know that you've come into a deeper intimacy with him. That's how you know you have the burden of his heart. Your priorities begin to shift Things that were once the top of the list go secondary, and things that were once secondary go priority. That's how you know you have God's burden. Suddenly, prayer meetings are the priority of your life. Fasting and praying becomes the priority of your life. See, when I saw this, and I'm praying through all this stuff, and I'm working through all of this, I began to cry out. I would spend time in prayer and I'd say, God, I want to know you. I want to know that type of burden. Now I know what I'm supposed to know. I know up here. But I want a union. With, I want it to be between you and I. I want the Spirit of God to begin putting this inside of me. I want to look at the church and see it the way you see it. I want to be able to see the conditions of the world the way you see it. I want to be moved by your birth. And I'm asking you to start sharing it with me. Open it up to me. Let me come into it. I have a measure, but it's not where it needs to be. And through that, I want to see a manifestation of your presence. I want to see it in our worship services. I want to see it in our community. I want to see it when I'm talking to somebody on the street that the presence of God is there. The presence of God has come down. See, the anointing and just sharing about it and talking about it is difficult because I don't know how to define it. How do you define the anointing? How do you define the presence of God? You can't. You can't define it. But listen to me. I know when I am under it. I know when I'm sitting across from somebody, a praying woman, a praying God, and they're speaking to me. 
whether it's across from a table, whether it's from a pulpit, wherever it is, I know when the anointing is there, there is a weightiness that comes on the, that conversation. There is a weight. And you're driven to a point of decision. You, you're confronted with God's conviction. And you have to choose. You can't sit there. You can either choose to harden your heart and walk away and say, hey, I met with God, but I'm not ready for that. Or you have to surrender to it. But you're driven to a choice. You always have to deal with the anointing when it's there. You can't walk out indifferent to it. And I started praying. I started asking. And I started seeking. And over the weeks, as I'm dealing and I'm praying and I'm working through this, suddenly the Holy Spirit started coming into my prayer times and just my walks with him. And the Holy Spirit started laying his loving finger, I mean so lovingly, of conviction on my heart. And he began to point out things where I had drifted in my walk with the Lord that have started putting almost veils over my heart where I can't receive that burden. I can't receive what God wants to download to me. It was so loving. It wasn't condemnation. He didn't come to me and scream at me. He didn't yell. It was just this agitation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know the small, still voice of God? It's not an earthquake. It's not a windstorm. You're just walking through your day, and there's an agitation that is in your spirit. There's something where you just feel like there's something the spirit is not letting go of. And no matter what you do, no matter how much you try to change your mind on something else, or you try to entertain yourself or move on, as soon as you're alone with the Lord, that agitation comes back. And he began to put his finger on things. I've shared openly at this pulpit. He started speaking to me about some of the movies and the entertainment that I was watching. I started watching the Mission Impossibles and the Bond movies and the Transformer movies and all these movies. And again, I'm not here ripping anybody apart for watching those things. I'm not asking you to put any of that stuff down. I'm talking about my journey right now. This is between me and the Lord. Do you know when I came back to this church in 2017 and I was commissioned as a senior pastor and, and really running the church in 2016 without anybody knowing, I was the tip of the spear behind the scenes dealing with everything. Do you know I was meeting with what, babe, maybe 10 to 12 people a week, just meetings? And on top of that, running Wednesday night prayer, elders meeting on Thursday night, right, preparing for Sunday morning, Friday and Saturday, Sunday morning, running staff meeting on Tuesday, and then we would meet with, what, two couples every single week, Tuesday and Sunday, after services? I was so burnt out after two or three years. I mean, I was exhausted. And when I got my days off, and Beth saw it, I didn't want to get out of bed, and all I wanted to do was veg out. I just wanted to veg. And I started putting on these movies that, to be honest, I, I didn't really watch that often. I didn't even put on, but I wasn't just watching one. I was watching like three back to back, like six hours. I didn't want to move. I didn't want my mind to entertain anything. I didn't want to pray. And when I started asking God for his burden, when I started asking for this place where he would draw me into, the anointing for this season, for this church, the Lord, by his spirit, started putting his finger on this and said, you can't have that. It's putting a veil over your heart if you're filling your mind with just murder and sensuality all the time. And make no mistake about it, as fun as those movies are, that's what they're filled with. Sexual innuendos, sensuality, and murder. 
And God said, if you fill your mind and fill your heart with that, it will put a veil over you where I want to download something and you can't hear me. And you have to make a choice, Michael. It's a choice. It's a choice we all have to make. Again, I'm not telling you to go home and throw your movies out. I'm not asking you to get rid of your TV. I'm talking about from my life. God says, you got to make a choice. If you want that anointing, if you want to know my heart at that level, you want that burden walking through you, that it actually reprioritizes your life, and there's a manifestation of my presence, then you have to make a choice. You have to either give up the movies or just sit around entertained, but you can't have both. Now, I know, I know people in this room are saying, well, that's harsh, Pastor Michael. That's, that's a harsh word. It's the reality. I gave them up by the grace of God, right? What have I watched? Pretty much kids' movies and PG movies, and I don't even watch that much, but... I started going back to prayer, and as I went back to prayer, suddenly the book started opening in ways that I haven't experienced in years. God is speaking to me all over the pages over my life. He's showing me what he's doing in the nation, in the country, in the church. He's giving me prayer burdens that I didn't have before, and I'm coming into something. Well, a month later goes on, and as a month later goes on, we get our stimulus check. The stimulus check comes, and listen, I know everything's crashing and burning, and I know we're in serious trouble, but man, when you get a check like that, you're like, wow, <laughs> this is, I like this. You know? And the first thing I thought about when I got that stimulus check, you know what it was? I could buy more motorcycles. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. You know I got three bikes. I have a, a 1961 Harley Davidson Pan Ed. I built it from the motor, the transmission, the frame, all the way up. Hand built that whole bike. Ride it around. I have a 1940 ULH flathead, a Harley Davidson, pre-war. I, found, I got the bike, I bought it, it wasn't running right, I fixed it, and now I ride that bike around. And I'm building one more. I'm building this other bike. It's a 1941 knucklehead that I'm going to be racing out in a beach in New Jersey with a few friends of mine that race these old bikes on beaches. And I'm all excited about it. I got all the parts together. I told Beth, I said, I need to do one more thing just to be cool. I just need, I need to get out there. I need to get my hair down. I need to just race. And we look like idiots out there, right? We got the big pot bellies on these bikes. We got these sweaters on. And we're racing. We're doing like 50 miles an hour. We're like, yeah, we're you know, down the beach. But it makes us feel like at our midlife crisis, we're cool. We got it together. So I said, I got to partake in this, honey. I got to build something. And she let me do it because she's the most amazing wife. And here's the thing. Here's the funny thing. I had all the parts for the bike. I have all the parts. But when I got the check, I thought, well, now I have the money to get the really cool parts. Like I had to get aftermarket parts and things because the real stuff was too expensive. So now I'm thinking in my mind, now I got the money to go get the cool thing. So when I show up, I'm like twice as cool in the photographs that no one will ever see. I was like, this will be awesome. And I got all excited about it. I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm going to buy. And I'm looking on eBay and I'm getting all ready. And I just felt again, the spirit of God just put his finger on something and say, you have three bikes. When is it enough? When is it enough? There's nothing wrong with having a hobby. There's nothing wrong with doing motorcycles. But this is what I just felt he put on my heart. How come when you get check like that, I give you money like that, how come the first thing that comes to your mind isn't another missionary that you could support to win another soul for me? Why is it motorcycles? It's not that I haven't blessed you. You already have a lot. You have, most people never even have one of these things. I poured blessings upon you. But when does it get to a point where your heart says, how can I support the kingdom of God instead of another motorcycle ride? 
And I felt like God just placed his conviction. And he said it so lovingly. What does he say? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also, Michael. I'm checking something inside of you. I'm bringing something out. And by God's grace, I sat down with Beth. I said, honey, I feel like we need to give a good portion of this away. We need to bless a young person going through a Bible school or whatever it is. We need to find somebody. And she always agrees. She's always on the other side. She's already there. I'm trying to arrive. And my wife's like, yeah, we, I got there last year with the Lord. Right? And when I settled that in my heart, again, I started to go back to prayer. And God's burden started coming on me again. I'd pray for an hour for our young people and for the nation. And you know what? I'd leave my prayer closet and I, I would start walking and I couldn't get the burden off me. I was so moved that I went back in prayer and I'd pray for another hour. My wife come home and said, you're in prayer again? I said, I can't leave. God, God is downloading something of his heart that is beginning to move me in ways. It's reprioritizing my life in ways that I've never known. And out of this, I believe God wants to move with a manifestation of his presence through that union, through that intimacy with God. He wants to bring an anointing back into his churches like we've never seen. He wants to touch the body of Christ. He says, where sin abounds, where the lawlessness is getting dark outside these walls. He says, grace, grace will much more abound. He has an answer to the issues that are going on. It's in the church. See, the Lord began speaking to me through the word and through my prayer times that, Michael, you'll always be my son. You'll always be my son. You'll always be my daughter, whoever you are. You'll always be righteous in my eyes. I'll always love you. My promises will always be yea and amen. That will never be taken. But if you want the anointing, you want the presence of God, that only comes through a consecration of your life. God doesn't give that to everybody, and he doesn't give it to every church. There's a choice that needs to be made. There's a place where we say, no, I, I want it so desperately. I'm so hungry for it. I want to see God move that I'm willing to lay my life down and consecrate it the way that he sees fit so that his spirit can have its way. In fact, turn with me to 2 Kings. Let me show you this through the word and where God brought me. 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. I'm going to bring out just a few quick thoughts, and then I'm going to close this all up. So we'll close this together. 2 Kings chapter 2, and I'll start verse 1 through 10. It says this. It said, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elijah were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elijah, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elijah said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elijah and asked, do you know that the Lord's going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elijah replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elijah. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elijah and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. 
50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elijah had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elijah, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah replied. Give me a double anointing. Touch me. And he said, you have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. This passage of scripture is speaking about the day that Elijah was going to be taken to heaven in the chariots of fire. And Elijah's walking with him, and, and he's following him through these three cities all the way down to the Jordan. And Elijah finally turns around and says, Elijah, what in the world do you want? What are you after? And Elijah responds. What does he say? I, I want a double portion. I want the anointing that you operated under, but I want even more than even that. And for the longest time when I read that scripture, I used to almost have this like throw-up feeling when I would read about Elijah. Because I used to think in my mind, why does he want a double portion? Is he trying to outshine Elijah? He wants to be the better prophet? Is, is that what this is about? He wants name. He wants recognition. He wants to do better miracles. Is that what this is about? See, I've worked with people in ministry that have wanted the anointing of God solely so they could have some type of name or some type of honor. And it's the most disgusting thing you'll ever see in your life. It is so vile. And I kept on thinking, is that what Elijah was after? And then I began to remember the day that Naaman came down to him. Do you remember the, the Syrian captain with the leprosy over the army? I mean, this was a big guy in the days of Elijah. You know, this is a king, like a general. This is somebody coming. And the Bible says he comes to Elijah to receive a healing. And what blew me away is that Elijah doesn't even go out to greet him. He sends his servant. It says, tell him to go dip in the Jordan seven times and he'll be healed. And I started realizing Elijah didn't want recognition. When somebody big came to his house with chariots and everything else, he didn't come out and say, I'm the prophet of God. He didn't do any of that. He didn't want the money from Naaman. He didn't want the silver. He didn't want the gold. He didn't want the change of clothing. So I kept on asking, what is with him and the anointing? Why does he want a double portion? And I started realizing that there was a correlation with the leadership of Israel that day. See, this was the day, and these were the days where Ahab, and Jezebel, two of the most wicked leaders, the most wicked leaders that you could ever imagine, were ruling the nation of Israel. And they were opening up doors to Satan everywhere through their rule and through their legislation. They were twisting the people of God. They were mixing them up with all types of carnality and the demonic. And Elijah understood that if he was going to go against those types of spiritual strongholds that had been left into the country, left into the nation through wicked leadership, if he was going to deal with that, he was going to need a double anointing if God was going to be able to receive the glory. If there was any hope of some type of restoration, he said, I can't live off what you had, Elijah. You saw a measure of a revival on Mount Carmel. But the spiritual battles that are ahead, the enemy is going to come back. And he's going to come back harder than he did before. And he's got a door through our wicked leadership. And I need something of a greater anointing than even you operated under. Otherwise, the church of God, the testimony of God, the glory of God will be lost. He said, there's battles ahead and I know it. 
And what did Elijah say to him? He said, if you see me when I'm taken, you will have it. In other words, listen to me, Elijah. You have to be willing to go where I go. If you will follow me where I go, you'll have the anointing. You'll have the burden of God, the intimacy of God, the manifest presence of God. And they went to three different cities. And every one of these cities actually represents a place. And your walk and my walk with God. They began in Gilgal. Do you know where Gilgal's at? Gilgal was actually the first place that Joshua and the Israelites came into after they crossed the Jordan and entered into the promised land. This is the first time that they're going to put feet onto the promised land after coming out of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And the scripture says that God tells Joshua to circumcise all the males because now a new generation has grown up who don't know the Lord. So he circumcises all the males and then God makes a declaration over his people. He says, today, today, I have rolled back the reproach of Egypt from my people. See, Gilgal, and I want you to get this, it represents salvation. This is us coming to Christ. We come into the promises of God. We come into our promised land, which is Jesus himself, and we receive a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit of God. And God makes the declaration, today, I have rolled away the reproach of the world off of you. Today, there's no more shame. There's no more guilt. Everything you've done is under the blood. They move on from Gilgal and they go to Bethel. Bethel was the place Jacob lied down at after he was trying to leave his brother Esau and head to his uncle Laban. And he takes a nap out in the middle of this wilderness and he sees, he sees an open heaven. And he sees a stairway of heaven coming down on this open heaven. And he sees angels coming up and coming down and coming up and coming down. And he wakes up. And what does he say? He said, surely God was in this place and I hadn't known it. See, Bethel is the place where God begins to give you and me spiritual vision to see things that other people don't see. We start seeing his sovereignty, his glory, his authority in the midst of our trials where everybody else says you're going down and we're saying, no, 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 God's got the last word. We're able to see his victory at the cross where other people are blinded to it even through the hardest times for our country and for our nation. There's spiritual vision. And many times, like Jacob, we say the same thing. Surely God was in this place. Surely I've read over these scriptures a million times, and I've never seen this before. Surely I've come to church a million times, but at the altar, this time around, God gave me a spiritual vision. And I saw angels coming down, his intervention of what he's doing in my midst. They move on from Bethel and they head to Jericho. And Jericho always represented the place of spiritual victory by God. Where there's nothing you are able to do in your own flesh to fix it or to change it. And every one of you has a testimony like this. It could be a besetting sin you struggled with for years. And finally through faith and walking around it over and over and over again, God breaks through and he demolishes it. And you know it's him. You know you couldn't do it. You know you couldn't set yourself free. It could be a marriage in this house that was at the very end of its rope. You did the counseling. You went away. You knew there was no hope. But then you guys went to a worship service or something. You were so angry at the other sides of the house. But the presence of God begins to come down. He begins to break away the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the hardness. And he turns the marriage around. And you say, with your own spouse, only God could have done this. This is a spiritual victory that only God could have intervened with. A young person you prayed for for years 
that you know they were so steeped in drugs, they were steeped in rebellion, there was no way through, and then God broke through. And you got these testimonies over your life of these spiritual victories. And here's the thing. In every one of those places, I want you to get this. There was a company of the prophets that were living there. There was a measure of God's people, listen to me, that had a measure of his anointing, a measure of his presence. They were operating under the anointing and the gifting of God. But here's the thing. They were camping out in one of these three places. See, Elijah realized that's not going to be enough for the spiritual battles that are ahead. What these prophets got. I, I need something more than that. I need, the church needs to get to a place where they realize we truly need the manifest presence of God again. And I'm not saying every week we're all just going to be slain in the spirit and we're all going to, no, 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 no. But you know and I know that there should be more than what we were receiving right now. There should come greater freedom, greater liberty in the house of God, greater deliver. And yes, there's pockets around the nation where it's happening, but this should be across the board. And Elijah realizes, I need more than just that. And see, he makes the choice not to camp. He makes the choice to go on with Elijah to the Jordan. See, every one of us, we're all camping at one of these places. We're even camping at our salvation and we're talking about what God did 20 years ago. Let me tell you the testimony one more time. How he rolled away the reproach of the world. How free I am. And we're talking about those things as if it's today when it was 20 years. Or we're camping at Bethel where we're running into the house of God. Just talking about the revelations and the spiritual vision that we have. Look at what God showed me this week. Look at what God's doing this week. Look at what God. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the journey. But we're satisfied with that. Or we're at Jericho where literally we're seeing God break through in the prayer meetings and one person's getting delivered or somebody else. But, but it's not right. It's not the weightiness of God. It's not the anointing of God. It's just a measure of God breaking through. It's like the Israelites. They still have battles ahead that they couldn't win with Philistine and others and they left them in the land even though they knew Jericho. And we're camping at one of these places. But Elijah says, no, I'll go on. And everybody was telling him not to go on. Even Elijah, the ministry of God in his own heart was saying, no, no, you don't have to go. This is good enough. And he says, no, I want something more. And he says, if you want something more, you got to follow me to the end. And he goes to the Jordan. Now, this is important because the Jordan, the original word actually means to descend. That's what it means. You know what Elijah was going where he was saying? He said, Elijah, you want this anointing? You want to know the burden of God like this? You're going to have to descend, which means you're going to have to humble yourself. Listen to me. And you're going to have to deal with all the areas of your flesh. You're going to have to crucify all of them by the power and the grace of the Spirit of God. you got to deal with it. You can't make excuses for it anymore. You can't say it's not a big deal. You have to humble yourself and be honest, and you have to deal. you got to let the Spirit of God put his hand on you, Elijah you got to let him point out the things that you don't always want him to point out. And you got to deal with it. you got to wrestle with the Lord. you got to put it down. you got to descend. The flesh has to come to an end. The flesh has to be crucified. And you have to get to a place where in humility you're willing to embrace all of God. That, that you want his burden so bad. Not just what he tells you about who you are in him, although that is important. Please hear me. I don't diminish that. 
Oh, Gilgal is important. Bethel is important. Jericho is important. All part of the Christian journey. And we need them in our lives. But Elijah was saying that will never be enough to know the anointing of God. You have to go to the place where you're willing to embrace all of his heart. His pain for the generation around you that's lost. His burden that begins to reprioritize your life. It will reprioritize your finances. It will reprioritize what you watch. It will reprioritize how you pray. It will put everything in a totally different order. You have to be willing to let the Spirit of God bring that into you and embrace all of it. You have to descend, Elijah. You have to descend. And not only do you have to descend and deal with the flesh, not only do you have to descend and embrace all of God's burden, but you have to descend even further than that, Elijah. And you have to recognize that you can't do this in your own strength. This is a work of God's spirit and of his spirit alone. You can't do it by just trying to mourn and whip your back. You can't do it by trying to just bring victory into your life over things that you don't have power over. You have to come to a place where you recognize that unless the spirit of God does it, there's no hope. You have to lie yourself out on the promises of God in faith. You have to lie yourself out over the word. You have to wait on the spirit until he begins to bring you in, Elisha. And Elijah, if you're willing to go there, you're willing to embrace the Jordan, you're willing to embrace the descent, you'll have what you're looking for. And you know what's amazing? After Elijah gets the double portion, he gets the anointing, he gets the manifest presence of God, he goes to the Jordan. The Bible says he comes back to Jericho. And then this is amazing. The prophets gather around him. And you know what they say to him? They say, this is a pleasant place but the water's bad. None of us would say this out loud, but that's where the church is at. We'd all agree that's a pleasant place. This is a good place. We could raise our kids in this place. There's good worship in this place. Prayer meetings are happening in this place. We're seeing a measure of salvations in this place. It's a good place. It's a pleasant place. But if we were honest, many of us wouldn't say it, but you know it. Something ain't right with the water. With the flow of God's spirit, something is off. And what amazes me, all those prophets and all those men, they couldn't fix it. They had to bring it to Elijah. Nobody could fix it. The only one who could fix it was the one who was willing to embrace the Jordan. He is the only one that had the anointing. He said, give me a new cruise and put some salt in it. He throws it in the water and it is healed. It is healed. It is made whole. See, some people have come up to me over the last week or two and said, Pastor Michael... The words have been a little harsh the last couple Sundays. They've been, been a little doom and gloom, and I don't feel like it's building our faith. It's not moving the way we were hoping. And... But can I be honest with you? And people have said this. We just came through COVID. We came through lockdowns. and I'm, I, I just need something that picks up my heart a little. I just need some encouragement. And I'm right on with you. 
In fact, I'm not camping here. I'm going to spend some time with this. I'm going to go to three days of fasting and prayer. I'm going to wait on the Lord. And we're going to come out of the season. I'm going to go back into Genesis. I'll do some more book studies. I'll do some. I'm not looking to camp here. But, but can I just be straight with you? Totally straight. What I feel like the Lord's speaking to me. The lockdowns, and I want you to get this, expose some cracks in the foundation. Well, how do I know that? Well, let me give you an example. How many of you honestly, before the lockdowns occurred, said, God, I just need time with you? I'm running a million miles a second. I got kids. I got work. I got so much going on. I can't even, I can't even pray. I'm trying to do it in my, my, my truck as I'm going to my job. And, I'm just, and you know what's amazing? God shut everything down. Everything. You couldn't go out to eat. You couldn't go to a movie theater. You couldn't bring your kids to the sports games. Now I know they're at home, and sometimes it's even worse when they're there, but... But he shut everything down. And then can we be honest with ourselves? And I'm just going to say this honestly. How many, how many of us actually spend time with God? Honestly. And listen, I'm not trying to be harsh, but do you know what that shows us? You know what it shows us? And, and now we're going to take the, the test here. That shows us, listen to me, it wasn't a time issue. It was a priority issue. And God is not coming against you. He's not ripping you apart. He's saying, this has to change. There's a crack in the foundation. And see, we can do one of two things as a church. I can do one of two things in my life as God is dealing with me. I either say, you know what? That was a hot, tough season. So I'll tell you what, God. I'm going to whitewash over all the cracks. I'm going to whitewash over the foundation. We'll just repaint it. And we'll move on and hope that we don't hit a spiritual battle that's strong enough to bring catastrophe back into our lives. Or I got to make the choice. I got to rip the foundation out and I got to rebuild it and let God build it back up. It's, it's one or the other. You know, my mom and my dad, they're getting to retirement age. They won't retire, but their body is now beginning to force them. They can't stay out as long as they were before. They have to sleep a little bit more. They, and my parents finally got to a point where they recognized that they needed a new home because the house that they had built that I grew up in, the shower's on the bottom floor and the living quarters are on the second floor and they needed some place that they could grow old together, possibly get an in-home nurse, possibly get wheelchair accessibility, to think of all these things through. So my dad, my mom has asked for a new house. My dad always promised that he was gonna build her a house. He's a construction worker towards the end of their lives. So she's been asking for years, but they don't have time to build because they're at an age where there's not much left. So, so what they're doing is they decided they were gonna buy. And my dad and my mom, they did okay in their life. They did well. So they were going to get a nice house. My dad wanted to splurge on my mom. He wanted to bless her. He wanted to build a pool in the backyard, find a big house, build a pool so the grandkids could come and everyone could hang out and have barbecues and whatever it is. So they get like 30 acres of property and they find this house, which was like a new build. It was beautiful. Is it 8,000 square feet? It's nuts. It's like this huge mansion of a house. I'm thinking like, it's the two of you. What are you, what are you doing? So they get this huge mansion of a house. He's going to build this gorgeous pool. All this is going on. They got 30 acres of property. I mean, it's unbelievable. You drive up and you're thinking, my goodness, I didn't even think you could find things like this in New Jersey, right? And it had a price tag. This, this was a hefty price tag. This, this was a lot of money. And they get into the house and I'm starting to talk to my mom over the phone. And my mom says, you know, we're enjoying the house, but your dad realized that the molding wasn't quite right. It was kind of crooked. And then he started realizing he didn't like where the load bearing wall was at. And then he started realizing he didn't like the, the, how the, the floors were put in. She shared all these things. I said, yeah, 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 I know. Mom, you're at an age now. It's good enough. Just enjoy it. Get into the house and, and just have a blast is what I told her, right? So a month later, I call my mom on FaceTime. A month later. And I said, mom, you in the house? 
how's the house going? You guys enjoy the house? Have you had your first meal? Have you slept there yet? You got the furniture? She says, no, we haven't moved in yet. I said, why? There's nothing left. There's a little bit of furniture. Just bring it in. Enjoy the house. And she says, well, we had a little bit of a problem, a little bit of a snag. I said, a snag? She said, a snag. I said, mom, turn the phone around. She turned the phone around. Every single wall and all of the floors were stripped down to the studs. The whole house, everything. I said, Mom, get down on the phone. Get him on the phone. He gets on the phone. I said, Dad, the whole point of buying the house is you didn't have time to build the house, so we spent the money to get you the house. What are you doing? And he looked at me. You know what he said? He said, Michael, I know, but I can't live in a house that's not built correctly. And when I left that conversation, I went to prayer. I felt the Spirit of God speak to me. That's your physical father, and he can't live in a house that's not built correctly. How much more your spiritual father can't live in a house that you're not willing to build correctly? You got to build it right. And then the Spirit of God comes. The Spirit of God comes. All right, let me close. Last thought. I'm reading through, and God's just opening all this stuff up to me. He's just blowing my mind. But I'm reading through the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, the, the prophets of Baal. You guys remember this story? And they're in the showdown. And they're, they're getting the sacrifices already. And the prophets of Baal cut up their sacrifices. They put it on the altar, and they want to see fire from God, right? Let's prove whose God is who. Let's see fire from God. And they're dancing all day, and they're screaming all day, and they're cutting each other all day. And I began to realize as I was reading this, this is the modern-day church. We're trying to get God to move, and we're screaming, and we're shouting, and, and we're coming up with plans. Oh, if we could just have a worship night where we could get that worship pastor, that one that made all those albums. If we could get him here, we'll have a move of God. If we could get that new pastor on the rise that's charismatic and knows right where to tell the jokes, and we could get him appointed at the pulpit, we'll get a move of God. We're trying our best, dancing around, to try to get the manifest presence of God back into the house of God. And we're so mixed up with the world and we don't realize it that we're no different than the prophets of Baal. Ooh, that was harsh. But it's the truth. That's what God is dealing with in my own life. You know what's amazing? When Elijah offers up his sacrifice, the Bible says that it's time for the evening sacrifice and he comes over and you know what he does? I never caught this before. Before he lays out the sacrifice, before he calls on God, before he even douses it with the water, you know what he does? The Bible says he repairs the altar. He comes back and he takes that place of consecration that had been lost in the nation of Israel. He takes back that place of prayer, that place of knowing God's burden, and he begins to put it back together the way God always intended it to be. And you know what's amazing? When Elijah prays in the New Living Translation, this is what he says. He says he prays once, he prays once, and the fire immediately falls. He didn't have to dance, he didn't have to shout, he didn't have to scream. One prayer and the presence and the manifestation and the power of God begins to come down. But he took the time to fix the altar first. He went to the Jordan, which was his way. Now lastly, and people have asked me this before I share just what the fast is going to look like. Pastor Michael... What if we begin to do this? What if we start humbling ourselves? We go to the Jordan. We start letting the Holy Spirit deal with areas of our lives that have veiled ourselves to God's burden. We come with an openness to receive all of God's burden. We come into that intimacy, and we don't see the fire fall. 
What if we do all that and nothing shows? And listen, nothing as a pastor scares me more than have to deal with that proposition to try to figure that out because I'm thinking I'm leading all these people here. But you know what the Lord, I, I, I was having the conversation with the person and the words just slipped right out of my mouth. You know what I said? I said this, I said, God will test the hunger before he answers the hunger. You look through the scriptures and you will find pattern after pattern after pattern where people of God, men of God, women of God began to cry out for a greater move of the Lord, started embracing his burden, and God didn't show up right away. When Moses was brought up on Mount Sinai, God didn't speak to him in the first day. 40 days, 40 nights, buddy. Then I'm going to speak to you. Right? Abraham was spoken by God like five times his whole life. And before he got promises and he got confirmations and he got incredible moves of God, sometimes he got one word and it was 12 years later before God even answered it. Daniel, how many of you read the book of Daniel? Daniel prays, the Bible says his prayers were answered on the first day, but because of spiritual principalities and powers, the revelation, the angel, the power, it didn't come through in the time schedule that he was hoping. And this is what you and I need to understand. We cannot put God in a box and put him on our time schedule. It doesn't work that way. And God says many times, if you want this, you want my presence, you want my blessing, you want my anointing, you want my burden, you want me to deal with the things in your heart, then listen to me. Sometimes I will test that hunger before I pour myself out on that hunger. See, these three days of fasting and prayer, God might move powerfully. He might show up and boom. Or it might come a week later, a month later, maybe even a year later. But here's the thing. Does it matter? Because if we have to keep going on like this with what we're facing, no offense, we don't got it. We don't got it. Jesus said to Peter one time, he said, you're going to abandon me and leave me too? You know what Peter said? He said, you got the words of eternal life. Where the heck else am I going to go? You're it. I don't always understand why you do the things the way you do them. I don't even understand half the stuff that comes out of your mouth. But where else am I going to go? There's nothing out there. I've done it all. And I don't have the power to be able to revolutionize or change anything in my society or my culture. You're it. See, church, we're going to go into three days of fasting and prayer, and I'm going to give you the schedule. Monday, we're going to gather in this house, 6.30 to 8. We're going to have an extended time of worship where we're going to minister to the Lord's heart. And then we're going to break up men with men and women with women. And the first thing we're going to pray about, the first thing we're going to deal with is lies that we have bought into or we have embraced that is putting a veil over our hearts from truly knowing God and knowing his burden and knowing his heart. Lies. Men, what are some of the lies that you deal with in life that the enemy has sown inside of you that has veiled your heart? Women, what are some of the lies that you deal with that have veiled your heart? And we're not just going to pray at the altar alone about these things and then go home and fight them by ourselves. We're going to fight with each other. Men are going to pray with men. Women are going to pray with women. We're going to stand in the gap and we're going to bring warfare and we're going to tear those lies down once and for all. Then we're going to gather towards the end of the night and we're going to pray for our young people and the lies that they're dealing with that are holding them back from coming to the Lord. We're going to tear those things down. Then Tuesday, Tuesday's going to be a different service altogether. This is the nerve-wracking one. We're going to spend the evening in extended worship where we're going to minister to God. We're just going to minister to him, and we're going to wait on his presence. 
I'll give a few scriptures that maybe you'd want to read through. I'll give you some questions to start asking the Lord to start dealing with things in our own hearts. But we're going to wait for God to begin to speak. You know, in Acts chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas went up to Antioch and the Holy Spirit came down to separate those two men and said, send them out to go start planting the churches all throughout Asia Minor. You know what's amazing about the passage? I've never noticed it before because in every one of my translations, it always said that they were worshiping the Lord and they were praying. But in the New King James Version, it says they were ministering to the Lord. And then the Spirit of God said, separate to me Barnabas and Paul. I have a special mission. We're going to minister to the Lord and then we're going to listen to what he has to say. Amen? And then Wednesday, we're going to gather again 630 to 8, and we are going to intercede and petition God. We're going to pray for the Equality Act in our country. We are going to pray for revival in our cities. The enemy is running amok in our cities. We're going to pray for churches in inner cities. We're going to target Portland. We're going to target New York. We're going to pray for Chicago. We're going to pray down in Miami. We're going to ask God for moves in his churches, and then we're going to pray for revivals in our cities. We're going to petition the Lord, and we're going to spend time praying for the needs of one another as well. Unless God breaks in and changes the schedule, that will be the schedule for the three days of prayer and fasting with each other. Now, I say this as I close. This is the real closing. I don't want this fast to be, what's the word? Like Pastor Michael's twisting your arm. I don't want it to be out of compulsion. See, I struggle with figuring out, God, is this something you're just speaking to me in my life and something I need to begin to embrace, or is this for us as a body? My feeling, it's for all of us. But here's the deal. If you're looking at me and saying, Pastor Michael, I, I, I'm not tracking with you. And can I be honest? And this is harsh. Don't come. I'm not saying that to be harsh. You could come to check it out. But don't come because you feel like, you you, like Pastor Michael's dragging you there. If this bears witness in your heart, if you're saying, you know what, that's something God is speaking to me, and what you said, Pastor Michael, that bears witness, then come. Come and be a part of it because we need unity together as we begin to do this, as we begin to seek God in this measure. I'm not ripping anybody apart. I'm not trying to tell you. I'm not being rude or mean. But the one thing I don't want, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, Oh, Lord, give me grace not to be harsh. I don't want a third of all of us just sitting around worshiping why everybody else doesn't. Either you're hungry enough for this now, and if you're not, it's okay. I'm not ripping anybody apart. Like I said, next week I'm just going to get back into Genesis. We'll have some great teachings. I'm not, but I'm looking for people who say I'm ready to wrestle with the Lord. You know what's amazing about Jacob? He had the promise, but he couldn't walk in it. And he had to spend the night wrestling with God where it got to a point he says, I ain't going to let you go until I walk in what you've already given me. I don't want to just know it empirically. I don't want to just say I got the promises of God. I got the birthright, the inheritance. I got it all. That I was blessed as a child. I want to live it. And it was when Jacob said, I'm not going to let go. And God even said, let me go. And he said, no, I ain't going to let you go. God finally said, you prevailed. You prevailed with God, and you prevailed with man. And he said, I'm changing your name, which meant I'm changing you in the inside out. You're becoming a different person. You're going to walk in what you always had. You're going to live in it. And if you're at the point like Jacob said, man, I'm ready to wrestle a little bit and say, God, I'm not letting go, then this fasting and prayer time is for you. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.